Today we're going to take a look at a classic biblical story many of you have heard before. We're going to look at it with a fresh lens. For those of us who've been a long way away from the Lord, it gives us great hope to take a look at the prodigal son. Stay with us on Meeting the Messiah. All right, and I'm excited to do this one. It's the prodigal son. It's one of our favorite. Uh, and I love this because Catholics know this everywhere. And uh, so we, we're going to look at it, but hopefully with some fresh eyes. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to turn to the Lord in prayer because he's the one who will open our eyes and open our hearts. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, this is a wonderful story that Jesus told that reveals so much. Allow us to just bathe in the richness of this story and realize that while you shared it 2,000 years ago with people that were the first hearers, you want us to experience it as if you're speaking straight to us. Lord, be with us and guide us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. All right, Luke chapter 15. We're going to go into Luke chapter 15, and the parable begins in verse 11. And again, I know you know the story, but I want you to pay attention to the details here. We're going to draw out the significance of these details and how this story would have been heard, not in a 21st century Catholic parish on a Sunday. I want you to hear how it would have been understood by those original listeners, the people that were there in the first century Jewish world. So, first of all, it says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered it, his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in the country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, we could read this, and it all makes sense as 21st century Americans. But let's go back into the Jewish mindset. So the, the Jews had, had made it a point to live in a certain sense uh, in the middle of, but separated from the other cultures. The other cultures were pagan cultures, and, uh, and the Jews were trying to protect belief in the one true God. And they had certain habits and customs that were very, very important to them, that were key to them maintaining their identity and their relationship with the Lord. And this, this son comes up, and we, we can just look back and kind of walk through these. There's six, seven, eight steps here <laughs> that are just disastrous. First of all, the younger son comes and asks for his share of the estate. What's going on there? Well, when do you normally get your inheritance? It's after your father dies. <laughs> so what he's basically coming and saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, you, you are not important to me. You're, you're less important than the, the property is. Just give me my share of the property. I mean, that is just shocking. Uh, so a Jew hearing that just right out of the gates, they're like, oh, I can't believe someone did this. But it gets worse. Because the next thing is, what do we find out? He takes, what does he do with his share of the property? He's going to go sell it. So He's, you disinherit. So property back in the Jewish time was actually something that was meant to be held on to. So even if you were to, to sell property, you, you were supposed to get it back in the Jubilee year. But he's divesting himself. He's renouncing not just his father, but his, his participation in the Holy Land, being able to live in the promised land. Because this isn't his own land. It's actually, in a sense, he was a trustee. In other words, like the family has the family land. And that land is not any individual member of the family's land. It's the family as a whole. And so there were many generations before us who took care of this land so that we could benefit from it. And then we become like a good steward, a trustee of this land to care for it. And we can reap its benefits, but we have to take care of it so that future generations down past us 
could, could benefit from the land. So when this guy says, hey, I'm going to go to a foreign country, I'm going to go far away, and I'm going to take, and I'm just going to sell the land to somebody there. And he, and he squanders the property. You, you, again, I was in the promised land. I went to a distant land, which is a pagan land. And, and then, then I began to squander the money that I had sold the property for on loose living. Yeah. Now he's falling into um, an immoral lifestyle. He's not building wealth for, to be able to care for his children. No, he squandered his family wealth, not just as if that weren't bad enough, but in immoral living. Yeah, in fact, we learn later in the story, he spends it on prostitutes. So this is like one disgusting piece after another after another in the eyes of a first century Jew. Asks for the inheritance, squanders it, on loose living. He's in foreign territory, by the way, that's a whole other thing. He's dwelling among the Gentiles, those pagans. And then he has to become, you know, he doesn't have any money left, so he has to become a slave under one of the citizens of the country, and his job is to... Feed the pigs. That's the most unclean animal, according to the Jewish thing. That's why they, you know, the kosher laws, they don't eat pork. The idea is because that's the unclean animal. And his job is to feed them. And he wishes he could eat the pods that the... That the right. So he, he wants to eat with the pigs. You're not supposed to eat pig. <laughs> he must eat with the pigs. <laughs> this is a guy who has fallen in a devastating way. The first century hearers, as they listened to Jesus tell the story, would have been like, oh, oh. I mean, stop. Oh, yeah, it can't get worse. You want to take a shower after you read this story. That, that's what this is like. So, uh, but then the highlight of the story, though, comes in, in what, what, what takes place next. The, the young man comes to his senses, and he realizes, you know, look, my, my father's hired servants. They have enough food, and I, I'm just going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him, Father, this is verse 18. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. So there's a conversion of his heart finally in this low point, this really low broken point. He realizes, I'm going to go back to my father. And he, he's going to say, I'm going to, I, my father will at least let me serve him as a, as a hired servant. He's not going to take me back as a son because I've, I've, I've shamed the family. I've done all these horrendous things. But at least he'll have some mercy on me and let me, let me work for him as a hired servant. And I'll, and I'll be in at least better condition than staying here with the pigs. No, and this is an amazing reality. So he comes back, and he, he, he's a long way off. And his father sees him, verse 20. He was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a shocking response. I mean, you, you would think, be horrified. Mm -hmm. How dare you? And to be able to see the, the, the father's response is as shocking as the fall of the son. This is just, the, the contrast couldn't be greater. You know, I think about how, you know, he's, he's the father. What's he doing? He's looking at the distance. In other words, all these years that the son has been away, the father's been looking and waiting, longing for his son to come back. Maybe he'll come back. He hasn't he, given up hope. He loves his son. And then, and then when he sees the son coming on the horizon, he doesn't wait for the son. He runs out to meet him. Which is a kind of an undignified thing for a man to do. Yeah, an older man would walk very deliberately, you know, very intentionally, but to all of a sudden just give up all social custom and just run. Just shows how in love he is with his son. And he comes and he, he kisses his son, embraces him. And notice the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's cut off. <laughs> the father cuts him off. The father said to him, to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and, the, the, and put it on him. And, the, and we're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a great feast for him because my son was once dead. He's now alive again. He was lost. He's now found. But notice the father cuts him off. What was the son going to say? Remember, he was going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The father won't let him say that. 
The father says, no, you're my son. You're my son and I love you. Have you made mistakes? Yes. Has this caused difficulties? Yes. But you are always my son and I welcome you back. I think, Curtis, you shared with me about something um, Father Spitzer, Father Spitzer. Once said about yeah. this passage. I just, it, this is so amazing. And Father Spitzer was giving a retreat to the board of directors for Focus, and he said, you know, sin makes us disgusting. And, and it, it just riddles. I mean, when you look at the list of things that this man had put himself through, he's now living and eating with pigs uh, and, and, and starving in the midst of it. it. He must have looked horribly. He must have smelled horribly. Mm. But this is what Father Spitzer said, sin makes us disgusting, but the Father is never disgusted by it. The devil is disgusted by us. He hates our, us and our sin, but the Father sees past the sin and sees the Son. And this is a great thing. Now this, this parable is going to a whole different level. The Father is willing to look beyond it. I ran to you. I threw myself into your arms. I now am treating you like a son. He wants to get him some new clothes. Probably because he stinks really badly, but you know, I would think get him a bath. But no, he's once, <laughs> he's so excited to be able to celebrate. And we've got to remember as we're out in the culture and there are people who are living in objectively bad situations, sinful situations, they're not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. The people that are living in objectively bad situations are the prize. Father, father knew this. His son was not an enemy. His son was the prize. And he was winning his son back into relationship. What an extraordinary thing, because really, while this is frequently called the parable of the prodigal son, it really is about the loving and forgiving father. Yeah, the prodigal father, the very generous father. And let's make this personal in closing here. I want you just to think about your own life. Let me just close your eyes, maybe, and just think about something that you've done, or maybe you're struggling with now, or maybe it's a certain sin, a certain weakness, something you're really ashamed of. Like, if everybody knew, you'd be so embarrassed about we all have those things in our lives. Imagine the Father running out to you. And you want to tell him, oh, I've, I've done all these wrong things. I'm horrible. And we, we feel that shame. Imagine the Father coming and embracing you, putting on the best garment and giving you the fatted calf. This is a story of great mercy, that, that God doesn't want us to be weighed down by that shame. He wants to free us. He wants us to come back. And that happens especially in the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation. Our hope is that you can take this passage and go personally with Jesus into the story of the prodigal son more deeply. And we have a friend, that's a special guest here, that's going to share a little more about the prodigal son. Hi, everyone. Hi, Curtis and Dr. Shri. My name is Mallory Smythe, and I am a content creator for Walking with Purpose and former Focus Missionary. And what strikes me the most about the parable of the prodigal son is the father's relentless pursuit to bring his sons into relationship with him. The younger son rejects that call to relationship and asks just for his father's stuff so that he can live a life of pleasure, and that leads him into a life of destruction and bondage. But the second son also rejects his father's call to relationship as he tries to find his worth in his achievements and following the rules, and that leads him to a hardened heart that is cynical and jealous. And the whole time, the father is saying, leave that stuff behind and just give your heart to me so that we can live in relationship and I can lead you to joy. And that is what I encourage you to do with God. Run to him, give him your whole heart, live in relationship with him first, and he will lead you to joy. All right, so we've been looking at the story of the prodigal son, but we're, we've only covered the first half of the story. No, there's another part of the story. In fact, this other part of the story is the main point. So the first part I just want to highlight, though, is a story that 
all the original listeners, the Jews in the first century, would have been familiar with the idea of a son who rebelled against the father, squandered the family inheritance, went to a foreign nation, became a slave under uh, under that foreign nation. That's a very familiar story to the it's Jews. It's their story. Exactly, because in the Old Testament, they were described as God's firstborn son in Exodus 4.22. Israel is God's son, and they were supposed to be faithful, but they broke the covenant. And what happened to them? They were sent into exile. They were sent into Babylon, and they were made slaves in Babylon. And, and they came back to the land, but they still didn't possess the land. Even in Jesus' day, they're ruled, under, under, ruled by the Romans. They're, they're under Roman oppression. And, and, but they know the prophets had foretold that one day God would come back and send the Messiah, and that there would be a great feast, and there would be a great celebration, like the, the story of the fatted calf being, being offered for the prodigal son. So when they hear the story, this is like their story. They're like, oh yeah, we sinned. Yeah, we were like that older brother. Oh yeah, the father's coming back, and there's a great feast, and the father welcomes us, and there's a great festival here. This is awesome. We're so excited. But then Jesus adds on this next <laughs> part of the story. And this is the part of the story. Everyone, while they're, he's got them in the palm of their hands. Oh, it's time for that feast, the prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going to get the land back. All of a sudden, Jesus is going to do a little, little switch move on them here that's going to really grab their attention and, in fact, probably frustrate a number of them. Yeah, and, and really, I would like to do is go back and set the context because we actually started this discussion in verse 11. Mm -hmm. But it, actually, this is the most famous of the parables in chapter 15 of Luke, mm -hmm. but it's actually the third one in the chapter. Yeah. And so there's a story about lost sheep, lost coins, and, and then the prodigal son, a lost son. But we're told the context right at the beginning of the chapter. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Now the, all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him, Jesus, to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then says, Okay, Jesus is receiving the sinners. The religious people are, are grumbling that he's receiving it. And he goes, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about a lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. So now we can pick up the second half of this parable. So the second half of the parable, all of a sudden, it just starts in verse 25. Now, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and laughing, dancing, he called to one of the servants and says, what's going on here? Right? And you know the story. He gets upset. And he hears that your father killed the fatted calf because your, your brother came home. And I want to pick up in verse 28 where it says, the older brother was angry and refused to go in. I mean, imagine, you're the older brother. You've been staying home this whole time. You've been obedient, you know, working the land. And the older brother that shamed the family, sold the inheritance, spent it on loose living, has come home. And, and dad just killed the fatted calf, the prized calf for that guy? Well, what's going on here? So now the father goes out to the older brother, the angry brother, as he did to the younger brother just a little bit earlier, and began entreating him. In verse 29, but he, the brother, said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. And that word can just be, I've acted as a slave for you. I've, I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid goat that I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, my child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now, Jesus ends the parable right there. The whole story's over. And then the Gospel of Luke moves on and tells about other things. You're left wondering, like, what happened? Right? Let's just, again, put yourself in this scene. The older brother's really frustrated. You killed for him the fatted calf? I've been here serving all these years. And then the father just comes back and he says, oh, well, then all I have is yours. You know, your, your, your brother... 
It was dead, now he's alive, he was lost and now is found, and the story ends. There's no conclusion to the story. Why is there no conclusion to the story? Because you've got to go back to the beginning. What was the context? The Pharisees, the scribes, were upset, like the older brother. Are they going to come into the party? Jesus doesn't tell us. Yeah. That's the decision they have to make. You're welcome to. I want you to come into the party, Pharisees and scribes. I love you. But you have mm. to understand that when I look at the sinners, I see sons and daughters. And I love them despite, in the, mm. in the midst of their sin. So the Pharisees are, are, are like the older brother. They're frustrated that Jesus is having meals with sinners and tax collectors, all the outcasts, all those great sinners that have shamed the people of Israel and caused all these problems. And they're, they're, they are really bad sinners. We shouldn't be around them. They're frustrated, just like the older brother. That's why Jesus adds on. He takes the traditional story of the son that was a sinner and then came back and there was a great feast. And then he adds on the older brother to challenge the Pharisees. And he, and he leaves the story open-ended. There's no conclusion because he's saying to the Pharisees, you get to write the ending of the story. It's like those little kids' books. Remember, choose your own adventure. You know, if you come into the party, you know, go to page five. You know, if you stay out, you go to page 72. You know, so it's like you choose your adventure. You get to decide how the story ends. Are you going to come in and welcome your brother who was lost and rejoice that, that he's alive again? Or are you going to sit out here and grumble and complain? I, I love this story because I think there's a lot that, we can apply to our own lives. You know, I think we can often wonder, which, which brother do I identify with more in my own walk with the Lord? Yeah, because I would say in my life, I certainly went uh, through years where I was the one who would run away. And I was living in, in rebellion and living in deep sin. And so I can relate in many times in my life, even to this day, about being the prodigal son who left. But there are other times when I'm frustrated that uh, things don't go the way I want or God seems to be treating some people uh, better than he's treating me or the people that I love. And so I can be the older brother. And you know, it's almost like saying, look, I'm throwing this party. And you're invited. I, you wouldn't come in. I went out to get you. I, I'm right here. Come to the party. I think the other temptation, Curtis, is we can also view our spiritual life as all about, you know, just following the rules. You know, hey, you know, I, I obey God's commands. I go to church on Sunday. Uh, I'm not like those, you know, pro-abortion people out there. Or I'm not, you know, I defend marriage. And you know, I, I'm faithful. I'm a faithful Catholic. I even come to a Bible study every once in a while. You know, like I, I follow all the rules. And, and don't get me wrong, being faithful, following what Jesus teaches, what the church teaches is absolutely essential. But it, our identity is found more in the Father's love. And, and so again, I'll be clear, we have to do those things. But sometimes we Catholics can, can, can not live in relationship with Jesus and the Father. We just live more according to the rules. Yeah, I mean, the obedience should flow from love. And, and so if you have the obedience and don't have the love, then something's broken. Uh, you know, I like to say church pews are obedient. They stay in church all day long. Uh, but there's no, there's no merit there because they can't choose. For us to be able to choose to be obedient from the heart is what Jesus, the whole parable is about that. You didn't want to be with me? Go, go and live. It's going to be horrible for you. And, and maybe you'll come back. I hope you do. I'll look every day to see if you do. You do come back and I welcome you. Now the other brother, very different situation and very similar. I don't, I don't want to come in. I don't want to celebrate. And I think that the, the challenge is that the older brother has forgotten how to love. He's, mm. he's looking at his brother as an enemy. Mm. As we said before, that's just not the case. The reality of the matter is, is that uh, we have to understand that the folks that are living poorly are the prize. Even the ones who disagree with us the most, the most anti-Catholic, the virulent ones, the people that want bad things to happen to us because we're Catholic, mm. they're loved by God. And they should be loved by us.
because St. Paul tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, he went first. We, he didn't wait for us to become obedient. No, he loved us first mm -hmm. and loves us into obedience. Are we willing to do that with the folks in the world, in our lives, that are not obedient right now? Mm. This parable challenges us in so many beautiful ways. Uh, I'd like you to hear for a moment from one of our, our missionaries. As I mentioned, we have missionaries all on college campuses around the world. But we also have missionaries you may not know in parishes that are serving in Catholic parishes around the country doing awesome work of evangelization. Love you to hear from Tina Augustine, who's from the Bay Area in California. Let's hear from Tina. Hello, Dr. Shree. Hello, Curtis. And hello to those watching this today. My name is Tina Augustine, and I am a parish missionary and regional director in our lifelong mission team. Uh, I serve uh, in a parish out here in Menlo Park, California. And today, this story, this parable of the prodigal son um, has really something that I've been seeing just over the course of the last few months, right? We see this father and these two sons and their radically different paths that they've chosen in their relationship to the father. But ultimately, what it comes back to is the father welcoming both of them back. I recently met with a woman named Julia, who she's 65, but she said to me, the choices I made when I was 30, they have had lasting effect on my life. These are choices that she made that um, really separated her relationship from God. And in just a beautiful way, she talked about her reconciliation that over the last decade and a half, she's made these profound strides to come back. And she said, something I've always realized is God the Father is always waiting for me. And so maybe you too need that reminder today. God the Father is always waiting for you with open arms, whether you have stayed close to him for the majority of your life like that older son, or you have strayed far like the younger son. Um, so today, let us celebrate and let us rejoice and go to the Father who awaits for us. Thank you. Well, this has been an awesome time together, walking through the story of the prodigal son. I want to encourage you again uh, to, to do this not just on your own, but share this with family and friends in a small group. We have free resources to help you facilitate a simple conversation to reflect on this passage more deeply. You can go and get those in the description. You'll find a link there and just click on that link. You get the free study guide to help you uh, and, and talk about this in a, in a small group. And then after these a few sessions on meeting the Messiah, we're going to start a Lenten Bible study when Lent begins. Mm -hmm. We want to just spend some time before Lent just looking at the person of Christ. He's the most compelling ever. But we've got a Bible study we'd like to invite you to. It's going to be how many sessions? Uh, seven sessions through Lent going through salvation history, the big picture of the Bible. How do all the different pieces and stories of the Bible come together to tell the one amazing story of God's love? Many Catholics know the stories but they don't know how they all fit together. And that's what we're gonna look at. So if you're interested in joining us and taking that next step in your journey through scripture and you'd like to be with us for that Lenten Bible study on salvation history, you need to register for this one. So go to the description and you can click on the link and you could register for the Lenten Bible study on the story of salvation. We'd love to have you join us. Don't give up Bible study for Lent. But let's close our time with a glory be once again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Go set the world on fire.